0: Ask yourself, am I doing this thing, or is this not a priority now? And if it's not a priority, why isn't it a priority? Or maybe
1: it is a priority? Or have I thought about this thing recently? Oh wait. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. In the second part of this two-part series, founder David Lawrence speaks to Lisa Shallot, former Goldman Sachs partner, advisor to startups, board director, founder, and brand builder about how to be an effective compliance officer, the compliance role in managing reputations, and her latest project, Extraordinary Women on Boards.
2: Lisa, first of all, thank you. It's a continued privilege and honor. And for the members of our audience, um, Lisa was one of the non-taxable benefits of my tenure at Goldman Sachs. And uh, I'll divulge to the audience that uh, there may be a lot of confirmation bias in the um, sort of my my appreciation for uh, what Lisa brought to bear um, within uh, Goldman Sachs, and apropos that uh, you helped to revamp training of people. Maybe you can talk to us about sort of what led to that and some of the, some of the important themes you know beyond you know specific regulations
0: well you know i I, I... I will say, and I, no no one does anything themselves, but I think that the 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 discussion that i I kind of helped to propel around the additional skill sets that again, for lack of a better term i 'll call business skills to combine with expertise um, really it 's one thing to have a conversation, but it 's another thing to say, okay, if we all agree. That these are skills that we want to encourage and use to define excellence, then then le- we have to train around them. We have to teach them, and we have to you know stress test them, and then we have to build them into performance reviews and make sure that that there's great there's great alignment. Um, and you know the the best way to do that, in in my experience, has been again to use some empathy and imagine. What is it that the person sitting here experiencing the training kind of has as their context for what's relevant to them? What's going to matter to them? What's going to be actionable and practical for them so they can leave a training and go out and feel like they've got stuff to use as opposed to encounter a lot of theory or things that don't feel relevant. And so, you know, when when I developed... Uh, training around this whole framework of skills that I'm referring to, you know, I I realized that probably the best way to do it would be to come up with like small bite-sized things that at any given time, um, you know, like, let's say there were uh, 50 of them. Written on uh, one sheet of paper that you could you could keep in your desk if you wanted, or you could post on your wall, or or, or what have you. Um, you could put on flashcards if you needed to, and you pull out one, and there's a just a small thing, and that is a prompt to ask yourself, am I doing this thing, um, or is this not a priority now? And if it's not a priority, why isn't it a priority? Or maybe it is a priority, or have I thought about this thing recently? Oh, wait, I use that recently in this situation or, oh, I have a situation coming up. That's a great reminder. I'm going to use it in that situation, but always have it be actionable, always have it be relevant. And you know, what's amazing in that situation, it sticks. It's not as if you walk out of the training, you know, feel as if you've been tortured and, you know, have nothing to show for it. So, it, it it was always about, like with any content, honestly, trying to think about who's the audience for this? How is it going to be relevant and useful to them? And then, you know, try to deliver on that.
2: One of the things that we have encountered, and, and this only comes in, I'll say, rethinking what we're doing and what we're not doing, Lisa, is to understand history and the narratives around history. And there's very little... That is taking place in the current environment that hasn't happened before. Uh, but what I found is that very often, as new people come into an organization, there are many people who don't realize what mistakes have been made in the past and why, and why they had very significant personal and uh, institutional consequences. Let me just sort of recall. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking around this, and this is where you know I hope to be you know, really working closely with you, is that there are stories that people remember. I think an entire generation has now entered into the banking sector, the finance sector, without necessarily having a full appreciation of what went wrong in the financial crisis of 2008. What led up to it, where the mistakes were made, etc. Very often, reputational capital, standing in the global community, etc. But on a daily basis, our system is up for scrutiny and up for judgment around the world. And very often people have forgotten the history and the personal narratives of mistakes. I remember when I was asked to do a training session on insider trading, I actually drew upon uh, a situation or situations where young men and young women got themselves in trouble, thought they were doing something that would never be detected, and what happened? And I instead entitled it not insider trading, but self-preservation. Self-preservation about how you have to think about your life and the long-term consequences and what you think you're doing might never be detected, uh, but why it very often is and, and will be. And to think about temptation in a certain way, there are you know certain themes. And I remember that you know a lot of people didn't understand the history of Goldman Sachs, didn't understand the history of things that had almost taken the firm down about certain missteps by the partners, but also didn't understand some of the broader scandals. Um, I'll I'll bring some up to date. You know, Paul Moser almost taking down Solomon Brothers. Leon Black's father was of United Fruits in one of the earliest of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act cases when the FBI was on its way to serve subpoenas at what is now known as the MetLife Building. He committed suicide by throwing himself out, out the window of his executive office. I'd love to get your thoughts about how important issues and a way of thinking, and I'll call it the culture of compliance, can be better understood and better remembered.
0: So, I mean, I think you know what my response is going to be. I mean, I think that um, what you just described is really making things incredibly relevant. It's mu- it's much easier to relate to the notion of self-preservation because you know what that feels like viscerally versus something called insider trading, which feels academic and rulesy. Um how do you make these things come to life? You do so by one, making the effort to, as you just did, right? Think, okay, if I'm sitting in the seat and, and, um, someone wants me to understand something, how do we make it really resonate with me? That takes effort. And then the second thing is, you know, how do we really, um, tell stories well and, Everybody loves stories. It's it's the way we describe you know all aspects of being being human. Um but to go to the history and to make sure that we don't repeat it because we didn't study it, to create stories even better if told by the person who experienced that or who was part of that period of time. Um you know really brings things to life and those things then become easier to remember. They become a, a, a facet of you know the lens that that you use to evaluate situations of the future. And you know, I, I just think that that's a very a, a very valuable way to to do things and make them stick.
2: Let me uh, switch because of the incredible counseling that you continue to do uh, for board members, boards of directors. Um, boards are often surprised when something blows up. How do you create or provide, maybe a better term, situational awareness? These organizations hire professionals in the ranks. They know policies and procedures. Companies are audited by various regulatory bodies. The board gets all those reports. But how do they really stay aware of what is actually happening? How do they stay ahead of potential capital P problems and learn a bit in advance of what else has to be done or how to rethink things or raise the question, why are we doing things in a certain way? How do they remain situationally aware of what is actually happening? Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're sitting in the boardroom, you're worried about that all the time. And I love the term situational awareness. And often I think is well, as some might say, uh the the pandemic was a surprise. Some might have had it on their their list of potential risks, but um I think going through this period, uh hopefully everyone appreciates the need to really zoom out every so often and think about what might be possible. The way the way I have come to understand what you're talking about, I think is sort of the organizational version of what I described for oneself, which is how do you have a very sensitive, you know, set of antennae and um, a surface area that is that is broad and that is feeding and 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 seeking um, and pulling in information? And so, you know, I know uh, David that that you are an expert at this and that you probably have uh, a, a a lot of better terms than the ones I might use, but. Um, for me, in, in the boardroom, I, I came across a great book by um, Columbia Business School professor Rita McGrath called Seeing Around Corners. And that really resonated for me because, number one, um, I was very lucky during my career during that period when I was uh, especially the COO of Compliance, Legal & Audit, getting to work with you know, brilliant experts like you and, and a number of other just some of the, the smartest risk managers in the world teaching me. How to think about, how to have that sixth sense, how to ask smart questions, how to see how dots connect, um, how to see around corners. So to me, organizationally, and, and, and Rita describes this as um, making sure that you're getting information from the edges, making sure that you have a process for collecting information from a lot of different sources, often the ones that are the most remote, but which are interfacing with vendors, with customers, with prospective employees, as well as within the organization and m- ensuring that culturally there is a, a, a desire, not just, not just an option, but a, a, an intentionality, I'll use that word again, around Having those information flows come and inform and provide provide insights, Um, you know, and is that information sought out or not? And so I think when when you think about things that way, then, you know, hopefully you gather that information and as a senior leadership team, you discuss it. You gather that information and as a board, you discuss it. As a board, you realize that you are a source of surface area for a company and you bring in other perspectives into the boardroom such that you see a risk here and why couldn't it happen here or could it happen here or did it happen here? And so I think by virtue of setting up a a system for ensuring that information is flowing um, and also having a culture of asking smart questions, which means that you have to leave time in a meeting for people to ask questions, um, and you know, not race through an agenda so that the objective is to get through the topic as opposed to, Hey, wait, we've got all these really smart people in here. Let's give them time to think and ask questions. I think it's from it. I think it's from things like that, that you start to mitigate some of the risk, and you start to be, you know, to me, the definition of situationally
1: aware. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. You can get access to critical risk insight and analysis. Subscribe to Rain's core membership, and you'll get our daily risk book digest, weekly intelligence briefs on cyber, geopolitical, and financial crime, Access to knowledge sharing webinars and breaking alerts on important risk developments. Find out how RAIN can power your business to success at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R A N E NETWORK.com.
2: And I want to just emphasize a point you made uh, because I witnessed this um, in working with you. If you saw something that happened somewhere else, a question I, I remembered you asking not once or twice but many times over, how do we know it's not happening here? That is a, a incredibly important point, and I d- I just didn't want people to miss it. Uh, you take in information externally and you also take it in internally, and you're creating the opportunities to hear from people, and to hear their questions and hear their concerns. And I'll just remind the audience, not that anybody needs a reminder, if the C-suite and the board are not doing these things. Trust me, they'll get done. I guess the takeaway one, one thing that has changed over the years is that if if you can't appreciate why, you know, as an organization you want to get ahead of something, someone else will, and then you'll be playing catch up.
0: Absolutely. Look, I think that you know if you if you don't set up an environment in which you enable your best observations and your best ideas to come from within. You are really missing uh, a lot of a lot of opportunity, and um, you know that is a, a, a real source of risk.
2: Lisa, I want to um, sort of close a bit on your current efforts because I feel that so much of what you have done in your career has led to—I'll call it—a a logical progression. I'll mention to the audience that Lisa saw a need in the marketplace to share not only her lessons and her knowledge, but to bring people together so there would be a community network for others to do that. And saw the profound continuing need and built an organization organically called EWOB, E-W-O-B, and it stands for extraordinary, extraordinary women, women on, boards. on boards, public company boards, private company boards, etc. This is an extraordinary—I'll call it a grassroots, organic effort from the ground up. Maybe you could just talk about, you know, what you have done and and some of the themes that you've addressed.
0: David, thank you so much for those really, really kind words and your support and encouragement uh, in in the organic growth of extraordinary women on boards, uh, really has meant a lot, you know, briefly, in addition to what you said, um, let me say something that, that might surprise you. And that is a lot of how I think about the, the content that we use in this group and that we create in this group was really inspired by the conversations that I would have with you and, uh, others at the table about risk, you know, back in those days of um, compliance, legal and audit, when that was when that was really my day to day world. And I learned so much from those experiences that thankfully, I I left with some skills. Um, and I bring that lens to the board work I do, I bring that lens to how I think about what the modern boardroom should be. And as a result, you know, we try to take on issues and really discuss certain questions and always do so in a way that leaves people with you know, actionable insights and, uh, and, and smart questions. And so you know, there is a real desire for excellence. And um, I'm just going to speak about women. This is no disservice to men, but this group is a group of women. W- women have fought hard to get into the boardroom. And when they get there, they want to be excellent board directors. And, you know, it takes a lot of accomplishments to even qualify to be considered to get into the boardroom. But that doesn't necessarily mean that those skills will be all that you need to be a phenomenal board director. And so there's a really inspiring aspect of what is an excellent board director that is very much a part of the ethos of this group and the learning that everyone does together. And by the way, the tapping into the collective wisdom that this group itself brings, you know, we have speakers, but often, you know, there are experts just within the group and and the questions that come out of the group as a result, given how engaged they are, is, is, is wonderful. And in addition to wanting to be excellent themselves, they also want their boards to be more excellent and that is also inspiring and with those objectives in mind and with a world of tremendous uncertainty um and so many new things that are enabled by technology and other innovations combined with the old risks that have always been there you know you have to keep learning you you have to stay on the edge and that's what this group aims to do and as a result you know i find it incredibly fulfilling and a privilege to, you know, to get to hang out with them.
2: So I want to um, add, because many people will have read within the last year, year and a half about pronouncements of wanting to have women on boards, pronouncements about working only with companies that will have representation of women on boards. It's one thing to say that it's another to empower and enable that. And that's what you're doing, Lisa. You know, people can put a woman on uh, on their board or put several women on their boards. But if they don't have a platform for effectiveness, and I'll use your term excellence, and the ability to collaborate, continue to learn, and to support each other and share challenges, that Those pronouncements about representation, no different than other pronouncements we make writ large in society, will never, ever fulfill their potential. Lisa, the importance of people understanding the incentives in an organization and how they get ahead and how that aligns with the culture.
0: So there there are two aspects that that makes me think of. One is incentives are incredibly important when you really have to assess what leads people to... Behave in a certain way. What behavior is being rewarded? Um, that is a critical question that we always would ask and, and and assess in the context of you know compliance and analysis associated with with risk. Um, but the other thing that that you know that brings to mind is um, I, I wish I could tell you where I could attribute it because um, it, it was it was really an insight when I when I came across this notion of. OQ. Now there's EQ, there's IQ, there are so many Qs, but there's OQ, which is organizational quotient. And I think in any organization, it's so important for people to know how things work, how decisions are made, how promotions happen, how compensation is decided. And sometimes, unless you make an effort to ask those questions and people often feel awkward asking those questions. You know, you can go through your career without really understanding, you know, what it takes to succeed. Um, so there's a risk aspect and then there's a, you know, effectiveness and how you manage your your career aspect that that question makes me think of.
2: Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, perspectives, a, a conversation that I know and, and certainly hope will continue and some great insights. So, thank you again and continued good luck with EWAP.
0: David, thank you so much. I always
1: love talking with you. This was no exception. Thank you very much for the privilege. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. The hub of RAIN's service is the democratization of information and expertise. Subscribe to RAIN's core membership and let us power your business to success. Learn more at RAINNETWORK.com. That's R A N E NETWORK.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.